0: The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. We have come with open hearts, oh, let the ancient words impart. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to continue their beginning in verse 10. Here's what the scriptures read as, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And then in conclusion of that thought, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I can't tell you for certain if I've ever been persecuted in any way like these people in Jesus' day, were. But I can tell you to some extent and to some degree, albeit a small degree, all of us every day to some form or feeling a bit of persecution. Now, some would suggest, and I, I can't disagree with it, but some would suggest that perhaps we're on the brink, we're on the cusp of something that could be far worse than what we've experienced in the past that perhaps we're just right there at the very edge of what might be seen as first-century type persecution, when we could be called you know, to question for our faith directly and asked directly not only by you know, friends and family members who may just be interested, but by many of those who are enemies of ours who want to require of us their standard of morality or their way of living. And so we may have to face some things. The closest thing I've experienced to that in my past actually occurred maybe over a decade ago. I was working in cabinet business and uh, had been very successful as far as cabinet making and supervision of it goes. I was pretty good with my hands and actually pretty good with my head at that time. Um, I knew in the cabinet industry where I was, I knew just about everything about it. I knew all the machinery, I knew all the parts, I could tell you to the nth degree you know what exact parts down to the very screws you would have to use and the model numbers of those screws to put cabinets together and because of that I had kind of made a way for myself I would become per- pretty successful especially for somebody who uh, barely got out of high school but I was doing well so I thought so well that eventually as time passed I got moved up and up on through supervision and finally was given a job on the corporate side of things now I should have known already that that wasn't exactly my cup of tea. That wasn't where I should have been, but that's where I ended up. So I got on the corporate side of things and got my own office and had a nice space and thought I was doing well. Uh, But I had a man who I worked for directly. His name was Carl. You don't know Carl, so I'll share his first name. Uh, Carl was a different kind of character than me. Carl would come in and out of my office on a regular basis, almost a daily basis, and he would curse and Talk dirty or cuss, we would say, and talk dirty and vulgar, and I mean, all number of things. And I used to constantly ask him, you know, Carl, why don't you just take it back outside? You know, you don't need to come to my office being that way and acting like that and talking like that. I don't want to hear it. And that went on for four or five months. You know, that was basically the way things were. And then it got to a point a little bit farther in that that he started coming in and not only acting that way, but suggesting that the job that I do wasn't good enough for him and he wanted me just to adjust a few numbers on a few pieces of paper and make things look better than they were. And you know where I'm probably going with that. And of course, I, again, I stood up, I said, no, I'm gonna put the numbers down that should be there. I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be sincere about it. I'm gonna turn in these numbers and if you don't like it, I don't know what to do. And I would do that. I would turn in the figures and the inventories to the president and the person who I was answering to Even farther up and higher up than me, and he would go in behind me and do his best to get those papers off of the desk of the president. He would make some adjustments and put them back, and I knew that was happening. So we got at each other a few different times about that. Again, his standard of morality wasn't mine. Up until one day, I went into the break room there, was going to warm up my pizza for lunch. And my plan was to go back to my office like I did pretty regular, and I would study my Bible over lunch hour and, you know, spend some time and eat and enjoy. And he uh, came by the office, and he said, Jim, you need to go down to Chuck's office after you get that warmed up. I said, well, that's that's fine. I'll do that. Chuck was the resource manager. And so I went by Chuck's office, and when I opened the door, I noticed as I opened it, the door hit something, and it turned out it hit a chair that Carl was sitting in. And without question, Chuck's voice kind of quivered. And he said, Jim, we're going to have to let you go. He said, I think you know why, but you need to leave. You need to get your stuff. You need to go home. And I thought to myself that day, just for a moment, I thought and I wondered if it was true that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Verse 10. And so I swallowed hard and I looked in their eyes and I said, I appreciate the career change opportunity. I'm going to go. And I've been preaching the gospel ever since that day. So that's the way life is. And although I thought that the, if you can even call it that, it wasn't severe, my life wasn't threatened, but the persecution that I found in that place, actually for me, I believe helped me and allowed me to grow. And I believe that here we are 20 years later, just about to the day or something like that and I believe that persecution has really helped me to be a better person and more than that helped me better to attempt and that's all it is, is an attempt but to do more of God's will so when I look at a verse like this and a passage like this that for me at least is hard to separate from what I've experienced in life and what's here on the paper but let's look at some things concerning this text this morning we Basically, and I know we did it over a two-hour period, but believe you me, we did it very hurriedly to get through the first 12 verses. And we really did not discuss these last two of that 12. We actually only discussed in a small way the first nine verses. But here in verse 10, to reread that passage, I want you to notice with me three different things. I'll do the best I can with a clock to get through these. If I can't, then you'll at least have them in your mind so you can look at it later. But the three things we want to discuss, number one, and you can mark this down if you're taking notes, is we want to take note, according to the scripture right here, for the reasons of persecution. Why is it that we as Christians, and as Jesus is promising here, really, you know, I told you every time in this text, this part of the text at least, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is often going to give us a principle, and then he's going to balance that with a promise. Why is it that we are promised as a reason for persecution number two i want to talk to you just a little bit about the results of persecution you know when we are persecuted and when that persecution occurs in our lives how is it that those things play out and why is it that we can find ourselves being blessed by that that's really the sandwich there long about verse 11 and how is that possible and then finally if we get time if we don't then that's fine we'll move on in life i guess but Not only talk about the reasons and the results, but I want to talk to you just a little bit about the response to persecution. How should we actually respond? Because it would have been easy, and I'm just using that day as an example because I don't know your day. I'm sure you have had a day or more days than one. But it would have been very easy for me to that day to, as we would say, to pitch a fit. And to protest and to argue and to try to fight back and to try to, you know, stand up for my rights and such as that. And maybe, just maybe, could have actually kept that job. You know, maybe I could have walked down to the president's office, who had long time been a friend of mine, and said, look here, you know, I'm being hammered today and I'm actually being fired because I was told to change numbers and i didn't change them i asked a guy not to be so offensive and vulgar and he didn't appreciate that and i'm pretty sure my buddy the president would have said you know what you know who needs to go home today it's not jim it's carl but i didn't do that that doesn't make me better that just makes me understand or at least try to see you know, what it is our response should be. And I think this text leads us to know some of that. So let's start out by looking at it again, examining some of the words. But let's think about the reasons for persecution. Number one, I think it comes down in verse 10 to what I would call the life that we show. Verse 10, to read it again and slow down just a little bit, he said, blessed, that is, remember, that's to be happy, but the happiness boils out from being supplied sufficiently and completely. He said, blessed are they which are persecuted, now watch this, for righteousness sake. You see, this is not a matter of being persecuted because of evil that we've done. It's not a matter of being persecuted simply because, and we'll mention that we are, but simply because we are different from everybody else. It's a matter of being persecuted directly for doing right. Now, there are times in my life, I, I need not even try to argue, but there have been plenty of times in my life when I may have said to myself, you know what, I'm being, not that we use the word often, at least in Munford or, or this area either, but, you know, I'm being persecuted. This is just that evil world, and that's just the way they treat people, and I got caught up in the midst of that, and, and this is you know this is the result of what I'm dealing with, and it's not fair, and it's not right. There have been times when I have to stand back and if I swallow my pride and sit back, I say, you know what? I'm not being persecuted for righteousness sake. I'm being persecuted because they're going down the wrong path and so am I. And so the difference between what they're doing and what I'm doing, although in some senses it's just enough divide for there to be a problem, there's really not enough divide for me to say to myself or about myself that I'm separated from that world. You remember the terminology, and it really comes out in the whole text, but it starts out basically in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 and following. It starts talking about us and how the kingdom of God exists and how that we are supposed to be, you'll remember this phrase, a holy nation and a peculiar people. Matter of fact, you can look at other texts that are very similar to that. What Peter said, 2 Peter chapter 4. Maybe it's 1 Peter. You better check that. 1 or 2 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, there, uh, it was inspired of him to write, wherein they think it strange that you run not in the same excess of riot, meaning you don't run and do what they do. Then it says, and speaking evil of you. So the first question I ask myself in containing or trying to examine the reasons for persecution is, number one, are you actually being persecuted because of the life that you show i had someone the other day you know we all get tied up in things if you're involved in, if you're not you're actually blessed by this but if you're involved in social media facebook for example i got tied up the other day with someone i wasn't uh, looking for an argument didn't make an argument someone uh spoke up and said i hadn't seen you around this group and that group and i wondered why you know are you okay and such and i said well actually uh that group that i was a member of they started putting a, a block on any what they called religious posts. I mean, you couldn't say to anyone, I'm praying for you. You couldn't say, you know, this or that about it. And I said, well, I, you know, I decided I didn't want to be a part of that group. I want to be separated from them because they already announced publicly that they didn't want any religion on their pages. No mention of God, no mention of prayer, just taking that off the pages. And she told me, her reply was, and I get it, I've, I've been there, done that, she said, well, what I've decided to do, and she actually used this term, she said, I decided to be an undercover agent for Christ and just to stay on the pages and just see what's happening. Well, that's okay maybe for her, but it's not okay for me. And, of course, I didn't argue. I just sent back a quick reply of Romans 16, 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So for me, that wasn't the way to go. It wasn't the way to continue to participate in that group who had already announced they had nothing and wanted nothing to do with God. Are we being persecuted for the life that we show? I've learned in my life that there are basically two paths I've taken. Both of those paths seem to be going in the same direction, but they don't line up the same. And that is either I'm coming down the road of this journey of life, and I'm not having any persecution. I'm not dealing with any issues. I'm not feeling Satan working on me or working against me, however you would say that, and that means I've got one or two things going on, probably the first. I'm either in collusion with the devil or I'm in collision. We're either going to be in collusion with the devil in this world or we're going to be in collision with it every day. So when we wake up and we go out and we deal with situations, if we are showing the life of Christ, we're going to be treated the way Christ was treated when he showed it himself. And that is the times and many times actually to be persecuted. So that's one thing. Now, number two, reasons for persecution. It's not only the life that we show, that is for righteousness sake, but it is also the lies that we suffer. Verse 11 goes on to read those phrases again. He said, Blessed are you when men shall, first word, I've got it boxed around and underlined and highlighted even in my Bible. Blessed are you when men shall, number one, revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Now we'll stop right there. You can read on, but I want to stop right there. Is it the case? Questioning God in this, is it the case that I could be persecuted for doing right? Well, yes, we've already saw that preceding verse. Is it the case that I could be persecuted in some cases for doing wrong? Yes, established by the balance of such. But in this case, the persecution preceding verse, verse 10, comes from righteousness. And the result of that is that we sometimes will have men who shall revile us. Now, I did some research. It wasn't hard to do. You look it up in a dictionary. But did some research in the word revile. And it basically is similar to the last phrase of this same verse. And it means to speak against, to stand against. It's almost, it's not the same, but it's almost a close kin to the word, which starts with the same letter, revolt. And so what happens is I do my thing, which my thing ought to be God's thing. I live the way that God commands And then some people stand back and they see the way that I live. And instead of being attracted to it and saying what I hope they would say, which is, you know, how do you live the way you live? And how do you act and, and, and function the way that you do? I want that. But sometimes people don't do that. They stand at that and they are just, they just, it's revolting to them. And they stand back and they say, well, I don't like the way that do good or lives. And I'm using terms they might use. I don't like the way, and I've heard this one, I don't like the way that church of Christ lives. You know, he thinks he's, here's the accusation, he thinks he's the only one going to heaven. And they'll make all sort of accusation. And the idea is you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance to speak. You don't have a chance to offer any answer to those things. You don't have a chance to, to give any you know, answer to their questions or, or their accusations all the while. Because why? Because they're reviling you. To you, they're revolting. Uh, they're standing back from you and, the, and you say, well, wait a minute, let me, let me talk to you about that. And they're going, no, 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 you stay away from me. Stay away from me. Seems like I heard a story similar to that around lunchtime today. <coughs> a fella laying in a yard with a cat tied to a string. That's, you have to ask them about that. I don't know about it. Some people are that way. And in the context here, and it's why I even bring it up, it's not just, as I just stated, the light that we show, but it is the lies that we suffer. Because I ask you to pause. I know you read ahead, but I ask you to pause. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, which, by the way, the word persecution means to pursue, to chase. And so some of these people are reviled and revolted by you, and instead of just leaving you be, they're riding behind you. They're constantly, who did that in this context? We mentioned it this morning several times. It's right down, maybe just for me, it's from here to there across the page, Matthew 5 and verse 20. Jesus specifically, if you want to call it that, called out the scribes and the Pharisees. Everywhere Jesus went, everywhere he walked, everywhere he performed a wonder, he proclaimed the will of God by the word of God. These men were standing there in the midst and they were persecuting him. They were reviling him. And the thing about Jesus that was always true is the latter part of this verse and that is that he was reviled and persecuted And all manner of evils were spoken against him or they said all manner of evil against him falsely. Now that may be the great divide between the way Christ lives or lived and the way I live. Is whether or not what they're saying about me is based on a truth or a falsehood. You see, again, it's possible to cry out and to say to myself, well, I'm just being persecuted. You know, the way our, and, and people are complaining right now, the way our government is, the way our world is, the way that, you know, they're making pointing fingers and all. It's the way evil is. Wherever that evil is found. You remember First John, that smaller book right toward the backside of your Bible, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Love, this is a command of God now. Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. Why is that? For all that is in the world, and he describes those things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Now that world, word, world right there literally doesn't speak of a globe. It speaks of what is referred to. Greek language doesn't quite bear this out, at least the way we understand it. But it speaks of the cosmos of iniquity. You see, he says, "Don't love the world." Now, that's in contrast to God, who so loved the world. Well, God loved humankind. Uh, God gave His Son, John three sixteen, because He loved the world. But we are told not to love the world because we're not told to love the iniquity of it. And so here in our context, he says, you know, you're going to be persecuted. Some will revile you. Some will persecute you. Some will speak evil of you. And it will be, in that case, if it's true persecution, false accusations. And then the last phrase there, that verse, we're looking at verse 11. He said, for my name's sake. Everything that we do in this life, if we're living, if I'm living, let's stop saying we. If I'm living, the Christian life should be being done to the glory of God. Uh, As a matter of fact, the way Scripture puts it is, whatsoever you do in word or deed, watch the next phrase there? Do all in the name of the Lord. If I'm being persecuted for what he called preceding verse, verse 10, for righteousness' sake, And that persecution includes being reviled, being pursued or chased, and includes having all manner of things spoken against me falsely. The only way that really lines up with what God is encouraging us and rewarding us with in the blessing of the very next verse, the only way that's possible is if it's for Christ's name's sake. Other scriptures come to mind such as Matthew chapter 10 verse 22. Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. There were others around, but speaking face to face with the disciples. And he said to them, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And then he said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. So he knew that. He knew that there will be those who hated. In the context, there will be those who hate you because they hated me. Revelation 2 and verse 10 uh, tied over with that Matthew 10 and verse 22. And that's the result. So number one, it can be and and often is the life that we show. Number two, it is the lies that they speak. And then number three here, and this is just continuing. It's in verse 11, the same idea, same mindset. It is also the Lord that we serve that does such. Again, that's for his name's sake. Uh, 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 To use that phrase I used just a few moments ago, if I'm going along this path of life, and I'm walking along beside the devil, if you will, seemingly, hand in hand with him. He has no reason to oppose me. I had a really, really hard time. It was, uh, well, I, don't, I can't count the number. Do? I don't do math well. This was in 2006. Late five-ish, six-ish to a point where even though I was preaching and actually in preaching school, Memphis School of Preaching, all that kind of stuff, things started hitting down, piling up. And I got to a point where in my mind, the only solution to what I was dealing with then was just to quit, just to give it up and quit. And I was traveling from Memphis to Clarksville, Tennessee, which you may have heard of both towns, but you may not have ever traveled between them. It's about four and a half hours. I was traveling from Memphis to Clarksville, Tennessee, And my only solution on that four-and-a-half-hour trek, driving along there by myself on the roadway to go preach, was that when I get there, I'm going to let the elders know that I quit, I give up, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. And on that pathway, I stopped. There was a lectureship going on up in Paducah, Kentucky. So I took a little bit of a detour, went north, crossed the line into Kentucky, stopped off at the lectureship. A friend of mine, an older gentleman in his 70s, walked up behind me Touched me on the shoulder. Didn't even see him coming. He leaned in and here's what he said. He said, if you quit, he'll quit. And he walked off. I don't know why he said it. I don't know what he had heard or what he thought he heard. But I ain't quitting. When we feel the pressure of Satan against us, it is going to be because we're, again, in collision with him, not collusion. And this has to be the life that we live, the life that we show, the lies that we suffer, and the Lord that we serve. Those are reasons for persecution. But let's move on. There's more in the text here. Not only are there the reasons for persecution, but we've already read across it. We're just going to keep going back to the same verses. There's only three here. But think about and consider the results of persecution. You know, we've already mentioned this, but the first result of persecution is there will be, in that sense, personal insults. You know, it, 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 would, it would be worse, I guess. I mean, I ought to say it's worse. It doesn't feel worse, but it would be worse or, or better and worse. Maybe, and maybe it will feel better. If someone walked up to me and said, look, I like you as a guy, but I can't stand the Lord you serve. You're a pretty good fellow, but I hate God. And then at least I could say, well, you know, you better get them, God. Deal with it. At least he likes me. At least he's okay with me. That's not always the way it comes out. It's these personal insults. Again, looking at the same term, just turning it a little bit, that word revile means to speak against. It means to push against. It means to separate from, to be revolted or reviled by. But it also carries with the idea, and it's the way this bears out. And you can't see this in the English as well. Uh, I have some tools at my access that make things easier. But in the Greek language, I hate to be Greeky or geeky. But in the Greek language here, the words around this idea of revile, and I'll read the phrase again, blessed are you when men shall revile you. Those words put together mean and imply that they look you straight in the eye and they talk to your face. See it said men shall revile you. They're not picking on God. Oh they're going to ultimately get to God. You remember the account that we have it's found in really in Acts chapter 7 8 and 9 but it boils out in chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. Saul is on the road to Damascus there headed into Damascus, apparently according to the context, going to get letters to further the persecution that he was committing against the saints and against the church, at least that's what he thought. Jesus comes to him, he's knocked down, flat of his face, I guess, at least down to his knees, he's blinded, and he asks the question of Jesus, Who art thou, Lord? Jesus' reply to that was Saul, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You say, and Paul may have thought, you know, I hadn't done a thing to you. I hadn't messed with you. These Christians I don't like. I don't like the way they live. I don't like, you know, the claims they make. See, when the Lord is persecuted, we sometimes become that middle man. The church he was persecuting, they were receiving that. They were experiencing that, but that persecution was passing on and through them on to our Lord. And the Lord was offended by it. So sometimes there'll be personal insults. Again, same verse, similar idea. There'll also be, and sometimes, physical intimidation. You say, where do you get that? Same words. Just just developing the words a little bit farther. That second word there for persecuted, yes, it means to pursue. And so sometimes, if you're like I am, and it seems to be the easy way to go with a Christian life, not always the best way, certainly not the better way. But sometimes you'll get to a place where you'll be like, you know what? I'm just fed up with the way the world acts. I'm tired of having to deal with them, so I'm just going to go back over here and quietly crawl into my hole and let them live their lives and I'll live mine, kind of that secret agent type of thing. But I'll stay over here and won't worry about what they do over there. The problem is what? They'll come to you. They're the best delivery service there is because you'll look up if you've made that attempt and you tried to get out, and we should get out of the world to an extent. But you tried to get out of the world and you tried to say, well, I'll just stay over here in my hole and I'll do my thing and they'll be over. You know, sometimes those things come right into our homes They come right into our lives. They seem to pursue us. They seem to find us. They seem to track us down. And so in this case, we have a level at least that could be included as such as personal insults, but also personal intimidation. And the last one here, and I'm just developing again the same exact words. This phrase here, they speak evil against you falsely for my name's sake. The falsehood (laughs) there is the idea that these will be perfected um, lies. They're good at it. Satan is good at what he does. What is he called in Scripture? There are many, many things he's called in Scripture, but on one occasion at the least, he is called in the Revelation letter the accuser of the brethren. See, he's not picking on the world, he's not messing with them, he's got them. He's accusing the brethren, he's committing to them false accusations. And sometimes the reasons for persecution boil themselves out, and these are the results. So it'll take courage. It'll take uh, a certain, we would call a thick skin, guts, to stand up to this. But lastly, here, and again, reviewing the same verses, except for now looking back at verse 12. We looked at 10, we looked mostly at 11, and now we focus our last of our time on verse 12 what about our response how should i respond to persecution again maybe we don't experience it so much today we certainly don't experience it in the life or death way here this part of alabama uh, that they have in the past what is my response number one verse 12 first phrase here he says rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Number one, I've just kind of marked down as some notes in my margins and stuff. Number one, we have to reign in life. Now, it's not as much seen here as it's seen in the whole context. Remember, this, this section right here, verses 10 through 12, are just the final of that list of eight Beatitudes. And as I like to define it, I did at least twice, maybe three times this morning. These are attitudes that must be. They have to be present. And if you roll back through that list, just to read down to this point, verse number 3 beginning, Blessed are you, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Yes. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Yes. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they, look at this now, Shall inherit the earth. Now I looked at this phrase several different ways, several different times, and I'll be the first to admit my opinion has changed on this a little bit here and there. You know, just stepping back and say, What, you know, what could that mean? Because this honestly, this phrase is a head scratcher. It, It can be confusing because we don't rule this earth. And so, you know, what is the blessing here? Well, he's telling us here, you know, if you'll be meek, and again, we define meek as not weakness, but that strength under control, the idea that we are standing back and we're putting ourselves away, not thinking so highly of ourselves so we can think higher of others. Uh, As I stated this morning, just in passing, perhaps, it is possible in our case as Christians to win an argument and lose the audience. And so we stand back as meek. And by the way, two characters in Scripture noted as being meek. One was Moses, the other was Jesus. Were there other meek individuals? Yes. But the two that were noted and recognized in Scripture for such were Moses and Jesus. So this is a a very small company of men, but yet a very, very prominent company of people, individuals. Jesus, obviously the biggest. But meekness. And the result is to inherit the earth. What in the world does that mean? I don't know that it means anything for us in such a physical way with the exception of when we are meek like the Lord is meek. And when we live the way the Lord lived, then we are able to now stand back and to say, look what? I don't have to rule this world physically because God rules it eternally. To stand back and to say, you know what? I can inherit the earth. Why is that? Because I can inherit all that God possesses. And He possesses everything. So there's no place where the earth rules over God and reigns over God. So one of the ways to deal with that is to reign in life. The second way to deal with that is verse 12, to rejoice in the Lord. He said rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And then he noticed this. He said, "So persecuted they the prophets." So we rejoice in the Lord. Number one, we're in good company. They persecuted me, he would say, Jesus. They persecuted the prophets. Number two, not only are we in good company, but we're in good character because we're again we're being christ-like if you want to understand what the beatitudes are and how they are pictured and how they uh, should be explained and represented all you got to do is okay there's jesus find a case where someone was willing to mourn that's jesus find a case where someone was willing to be uh meek there's jesus Find a case where someone hungered and thirsted after just nothing but righteousness. There's Jesus. Find a case where someone was merciful. There's Jesus. Find a case where someone was pure. There's Jesus. Find a a case where someone was a peacemaker. There's Jesus. Find a case where someone was persecuted. There's Jesus. And so our response can come down to those things to understand that we reign in the sense that he allows us to in life and then also to understand that we ought to rejoice in the Lord. So his, his encouragement here, his command here, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Hard to do. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets up before you. I understand, again, that we're, we're not living in a time necessarily at the moment when we directly, every day, wake up and feel physical persecution in the way that he was speaking of, in the way that men were dealing with it then, in and around the time of Christ, first century days. But in a sense... For me to stand back and say, number one, there is no persecution that exists at all today. Or, number two, say there's no possibility for persecution to increase, is ignorant. And as I've heard someone say lately, and I appreciate the way he said it, there are two ways of saying that word. One is ignorant, and one is ignorant. And ignorant is worse. It's, it's just, it's it's stupidity. And we can't hide under those stones. You know, the great thing about the Sermon on the Mount, not only does Jesus give us instruction, He gives us encouragement. He gives us insight. This is one of those texts where we might get down through this and say, okay, I've held all these holy attitudes of the first few verses, the attitudes that we ought to attain. And then here we get down to these verses, verse 10 through 12, and we're so excited, at least I am. I'm excited about verse 13, being useful by being useful salt. I'm excited about verses 15 and 14 through 16 about being the light of this world and the city set on a hill. I'm excited about that. It's easy just to pass through verses 10 to 12 and say, nah, no, I don't want that. Summon on the Mount is not filled with simple suggestions. It's not filled with options. It's filled with nothing but obligation. It's the commands of God. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, let me encourage you tonight that today is the very best time that you may ever find to be obedient. Today is the best time. You know, we live in a time when, yes, things are easier than they once were. Things may one day be harder than they've ever been. I don't know. But today is the best time that you could ever have to be obedient to God. Why? Because it's the only time you may have to be obedient to God. Today is the day of salvation. Through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, you can put on Christ. As, as the majority of us have done And you can be a part of this. And these promises, these principles that are balanced with promises, they can be true. And you can stand even in light of this minute discussion and say, you know what? I am blessed. I'm blessed as an opportunity to suffer for righteousness sake. Why? Because I'll suffer in the name of the Lord. Can't do that outside of the Lord. I know more likely you're more like me. And you may have been obedient to God some years ago, decades ago even. And you live a life every day and you come through this life and every day there's a struggle and every day there's a heartache and every day there's a pain. And every day there's an opportunity to step back and say, you know what, I, I, I give up. This is not worth it. It's easy. It's so easy to live the Christian life, especially when you live it right. You know, the world would look at this and say, well, you know, it would be easier just to live the Christian life and just to just to hide away. No. It's actually easier to live it right because you don't stand alone. If you're here tonight and you're in subject to the Lord's invitation, that's the perfect and best opportunity while together we stand and sing.